Welcome to the School of the Forest podcast. I'm your host, Christopher Russell. This podcast aims to educate you about outdoor living skills, give you a first-person approach to wilderness ecology, and provide you with a glimpse into the different methods people are using for sustainable living. To find out more about our programs, please visit schoolofforest.com. Thanks, and enjoy the show. Welcome to the School of the Forest podcast, episode 18. Hello, everybody. We're back after... Uh one of the one of the many uh one of the many breaks that i tend to take on recording these um i'm joined today by tom herons and tom is uh in england so we're we're kind of bridging bridging the pond here a little bit um how are you doing today tom i'm good thank you christopher i'm delighted to be here uh nice to speak to you um it's nine o'clock in the evening here after a, a long day being up with my my sons early in the morning um, but I'm good. The sun has shone and there was a thick frost and a gorgeous sunset as well. So um, I'm, I'm pretty happy. Wonderful. So I found Tom, or I found your work, uh, I think probably in 2018, um, which is, I, I think I probably found it the way most people find your, your work, which is sometimes a wild God. Um, I found that I think about halfway through a uh, nine week semester up in Maine. Um, and it was, it was just kind of, those semesters are pretty intense experiences. And it was kind of, kind of exactly what I needed at that time. The, this, this imagery that you had of the, the, this person, this wild God that comes to the door and doesn't understand kind of the, the modern ways of the world. And I was at the time, um, living in, uh, just a canvas wall tent for six months out of the year. And it, it very much, whenever I went into, into town, very much felt like, I didn't really know what was going on after, after being in a wall tent. And so I stumbled upon that and then just kind of, kind of tried to keep up with what you were doing and continued reading stuff. And um, yeah. And then, so now I get to actually speak to you, not in person, but over this and hear a little bit about a little bit about your work. So if you wouldn't mind, could you tell everybody a little bit about yourself and how you, uh, yeah, and just the kind of work that you do, not just with, uh, you know, your your writing, but also the sort of storytelling and stuff like that. Sure, sure. Um, so uh, these days, what do I do? It's kind of hard to tell these days since um, since COVID, everything is <laughs> everything has kind of melted and senses of identity and some of the things that I, I was busy with, I'm not so busy with now. Um, but essentially, um, I'm, a, I'm a writer. I, I mostly write poetry these days, um, some fiction, uh, some prose, some, some mm, uh, other things that aren't quite either. And um, that's, that's how I make my living, really. I co-run a, a small press, Hedge Spoken Press, um, and a traveling storytelling theater as well, um, which... Um, my ex-partner and I, uh, Green Mustaine, set up in 2015, I think, um, uh, which was, is a, um, an extraordinary vehicle. Um, it's a house and a, a stage on the back of a, a vintage lorry that we lived in for a couple of years when our eldest was young. Um, so I did that. Uh, I'm a community acupuncturist, uh, currently um, on long sabbatical from that, um, 
and I've been a leather worker. I was a leather worker for a long time, making making briefcases up in Scotland, where I lived for a long time. Uh, and just sometimes I am a wilderness rites of passage guide as well, uh, guiding people through through wilderness fasts. Um, so yeah, that's that's what I do. But writing is is mostly what I do. And at the moment, I'm doing quite a lot of uh, teaching teaching poetry or at least hosting sessions in which we explore aspects of what it is to write poetry online um, which are extremely juicy and I'm, I'm learning I think far more than I'm imparting but uh, but it's it's great I'm, I'm enjoying that so yeah words words are big um, I'm an apprentice to to language and the the, the ways of it and the powers that um, we can harness or um, find our way through with, with using language in particular ways, whether it's through poetry or fiction or propaganda or rhetoric, um, how, we, how we affect ourselves and other people in the world around us through, through the word. That's, yeah, that's awesome. That, that line you had of, of apprentice to language is, uh, that's probably going to be the headline of the podcast, I think. That's pretty... <laughs> That's a pretty good little, a pretty good little turn of phrase there. Um, it's a long you know, apprenticeship, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it's never ending. Um, yeah. But uh, so, the first thing I want to talk about is is your little bit of uh, about, um, you know, you mentioned that you you're you're learning more than you're probably imparting as an educator, and I I think there's something to that. Is uh, you know, I I work full time as a as an outdoor educator, and I I think. Every, every course I run, um, I think there's this hard thing that happens where you, you, you feel like you're teaching the same thing that you, it, it seems very almost mundane to you because you've done it so many times, but these things, these like observations and stuff that your, you know, your students or participants or even other instructors are having are these really, really, you, it, just because they see the world differently and they see whatever you're doing differently, it kind of it kind of brings you this kind of interesting, uh, just a different perspective, I suppose. Um, For sure. And with that in mind, you know, the talking about perspectives, the work of yours that I've read um, and uh, you know, with poetry, it's hard to, hard to see uh, if that's just my take on it, or if that's what you meant is it seems very influenced by the natural world, um, particularly, uh, you know, Dartmoor, where it's, which, seems like where you've spent a lot of time and I'd love to hear some more about that, about this, uh, the sort of overarching, um, influence of the natural world on your work that at least, at least I see whether that's true or not. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's, um, it's an interesting thing, uh, thinking about that, that question or that, that subject, because a lot of my writing isn't directly about the natural world. You know, I, I don't, um, see myself really as a nature poet or or that kind of thing but um you know as someone who's in love with the world and who um you know what i'm trying to do essentially is write as best i can the truth about what it is to be alive in this world um the natural world is is the matrix that you know we're embedded in uh and so to not be interested in it or to not be influenced by it would 
kind of be absurd for me who spends you know a fair deal of my time or as much of my time as i can out in the green spaces you know in here in southern england it's um it's not the wilds <laughs> we're not in the wilds it's largely um you know, arable uh, or um, kind of grazing land. Uh, but Dartmoor is a very peculiar place. I lived in Scotland for a long time, for 20 years or so. And when I lived there, I, I swore I would never live in England again because it's so um, inhabited and full of uh, private peep out, no trespassing signs and all of that. And when I first came to Dartmoor in 2010, um, I encountered this place, which for those of you who don't know it, it's, it's, it's really tiny by American standards. It's like 365 square miles of, um, you know, fairly barren land fringed by um, extraordinarily beautiful uh, old forests and with some very strange patches to it. it and it's, just absolutely hooching with um, kind of Neolithic uh, monuments and all kinds of history. It's, it's very rich, it's very dense. Um, and so to spend time on Dartmoor for me is to, is to encounter not only the land, uh, which it is, you know, it's largely deserted. Um, uh, and so there's a sense of a, uh, almost aloneness that you can achieve there, which you can't really get in a lot of places in um, a lot of southern England particularly um, but it's also to feel as if you're moving in in amongst this incredible history of the place you know it goes goes way back it's a fascinating place and so when I encountered it for the first time I was like oh my god this is this is uh, this is something else and in my mind at least is it's this huge gray shaggy beast uh, which occasionally devours people still um, and has its very much its own persona in different parts of the moor, the, the north moor or the west moor, the east moor, the south moor, they all have very different characteristics. And so I feel like I'm, I'm getting to know uh, this, this being uh, or set of beings by spending time out there. But really, um, you know, for me, my, my essential practice my 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 way of maintaining my own some kind of sanity in this um mad epoch in which we live um you know the the, the single most effective thing for me is to go out into um into what passes for wild nature or any kind of nature really but Dartmoor does a particular thing to me and so um you know, it's it's my church, it's my temple. That's where I go to to worship and to make contact with, um, however you want to frame it, that part of myself or that part of the the, the external reality, which is um, which keeps me good, you know, and informs what I do. And it's it's I'm really when I think of it, I, I generally don't think of it in those terms. I think of it in terms of just a well. And if I haven't been out in, in wild nature, the well is dry and empty. And so that affects how, how I am, not just in my creative life, but in, in every aspect of my life. And when I go back to that and fill the well, there's, there's wild water flowing.
flowing and that changes everything doesn't it it's, you know, oh absolutely you know it's interesting you were talking about going from um you know you mentioned going from scotland back to england and how it seemed like it was so inhabited and that it, and then you found this place that was um sort of a, a almost an oasis um if we're talking about water and I'm, I'm sort of in the in the process of doing that as well you know i, I learned all of this um all this all the stuff that i do i learned up in northern maine and the north maine woods is this huge huge stretch of untouched you know other than logging that goes on in there once you cross into that there's nothing and it is a true wilderness um and now i'm running more programs in vermont which is a little more inhabited and i'm trying to wrap my head around this idea of uh of essentially what you're talking about of being you know finding these little pockets of these little pockets of that that feeling of being out without needing to go someplace you know extreme or remote in america in particular there's this sort of mentality about and doing anything outdoors that you need to go to like the most extreme split places yeah, yeah. and have these you know climb mountains and stuff like that and um you know i mean i'm in the process of trying to figure out how to find that feeling not just for myself but for students as well um that feeling of that well that you're talking about without um without needing to go to someplace crazy which means shedding a lot of like cultural baggage as well you know yeah yeah absolutely absolutely this is this is really interesting stuff and totally relevant um because there's a danger i think of creating a kind of dichotomy between the you know the wild places and you know the the urban experience which is the vast majority of, of people's lives and saying okay if you don't have access to to the wild then you're kind of screwed um and on the one hand that is kind of true um you know because there is something vital and fundamental about being in contact with places where you're not walking in someone's footsteps, or at least not someone's footsteps that have that are fresh from the you know the previous hour, or the previous day, or the previous week. Um, but at the same time, that um, that matrix of wildness or the, the 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 energy of aliveness that exists in the world isn't just confined to to those you know kind of traditionally. Um, wilderness type places um and i think that's that's work that um certainly some friends of mine are, are interested in exploring it's like how do we how do we stop that that divide happening um, yeah absolutely and it's you know you mentioned monoliths earlier and all this history that you have walking walking around where you go and um you know my, my time in maine was was and you know i still spend a fair amount of time up there every year and it is it is it is wild and so there's no you know the connection that you have to other people is the other people that are out with you mm -hmm. um and then in my time here there's uh that i've been you know in guiding hikes and stuff like that around here there's been a lot of locals that have been showing me um you know old like new england stone walls are a classic mm -hmm. thing that have all these crazy stories with them you know they they're most of them aren't really there for anything it was just a way to give uh soldiers returning from the civil war like something to do that they could really? feel like they were yeah so there's so it's interesting wow. that you you know it, i have a tendency to think about um escaping humanity and then 
but there's something kind of grounding about finding finding these places and you know if you stumble upon somebody's old cellar hole here in the woods it, it makes you wonder about um you know you're not the first one to be here and that's that's, that's probably okay um yeah yeah and there's this completely. you know go ahead well just we, we there's we've inherited a, a story about this kind of search for purity um and actually we exist in a world where that's not actually for me anyway the most interesting thing um it's where all the edges have, have rubbed together and things have, have got messy and you know that's kind of what particularly what uh, we humans seem to be good at um so it's yeah it's it's interesting it's interesting territory yeah endlessly fascinating um yeah, I, you know, you mentioned earlier about, um, you know, it's where you go to worship. And I particularly, you know, the reason that I reached out to you was that I, um, over the holidays, um, was lucky enough to get my hands on a copy of Falconer's Joy, um, which is a collection of poetry that you writ, wrote. And um, the one that sort of stuck out in my brain the most was this um, one titled The Worship of Place. And it's, it kind of... Um, it struck a nerve with me, uh, not just personally, but as, as an educator in these things is that we on, you know, I've been involved with a lot of these long-term immersion programs. And um, on those, we have people that show up from literally all over the world, from all sorts of different backgrounds. Um, and, you know, not all of them have this, this like deep spiritual reaction to these experiences that they get to go through with us but but um or they wouldn't phrase them that way but there is this sort of grounding that happens for everybody when they get the chance to go and live in a in a a natural setting you know when our students come in they spend the first two weeks in tents and then the next seven to eight weeks in a shelter that they've built themselves so there's this real sort of there's nothing um there's nothing separating them from the natural world. And in that they have this, this sort of grounding. Um, you know, the other thing is that we joke that on these long-term programs, the only people that show up are people in between lives. So some they're, they're, yeah, yeah. they're either looking for something or running away from something or just trying to figure out what their next step is. And so, sure. so I would just love to hear your thoughts about um, this idea of, uh, like reverence and a sense of belonging in the outdoors that at least, at least I got a sense of reading, reading that particular, particular poem, as opposed to, to that. Go ahead. Do you, do you want me to read a couple of stanzas? I would love that. Yeah, that would be yeah, wonderful. So just, I've got, no, hold on, I'll just pretty good. <laughs> no rush. Yeah, 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 no, here we go. Um, just so that your listeners have some sense of what on earth we're talking about. Um, Absolutely. Always nice. Uh, yeah, so um, Falconer's Joy, uh, we just did a new edition of this last year, um, and The Worship of Place. So this, um, I'll, I'll just read a couple of stanzas. Um, it starts like this. I won't read the whole thing. Um, there is a temple I know whose roof is made of sky. On its ceiling are painted clouds and stars and the rooms and corridors are made of leaves and branches. Its doors are open to all people, day and night. Anyone may enter, whether or not they listen. 
the wise words spoken within. I know a synagogue through which a river flows against boulders inscribed with scriptures of moss, where salmon leap in exaltation and wild doves sing. The rabbi has a beard of gray-green lichen, and his prayers are carried on the gurgling silver stream. I know a mosque in which every direction is sacred. Within that holy place, I see the face of the beloved beneath every stone and in the heart of every flower. Fallen oak leaves are the flurries of the faithful dancing. The call to prayer is sung upon the whirling wild wind. Lovely. It goes on in a, in a similar vein for a while. <laughs> um, and that poem, I... Um, I used to go out into uh, into nature with a, a notebook and you know, it's kind of, I'd be walking about, um, sometimes looking for inspiration, sometimes kind of just having that receptive ear open to, to the world, sometimes just going out there to, to get filled um, or to get emptied, whichever way you look at it. And when I was um, living for a while, uh in the southern part of dartmoor um near a place called dartmeet which is where the two branches of the river dart which is this beautiful extraordinary river um which gives dartmoor its name and, and all kinds of other places um uh i was starting to question whether this was the best way of approaching uh writing and being out in nature um to kind of you know take a notebook out and every so often i'd hunker down and scribble a few lines and I was beginning to suspect that there was something in that process which was actually separating me from um, from my experience or my, my time out there in nature and so I was starting to experiment with recording instead uh, so I had a little kind of you know dictaphone kind of thing and I would go out and um, just start speaking uh, and I found that that way of doing things meant that I wasn't closed down. You know, I wasn't doing this kind of big expansion out into my experience there and then kind of coming back down to a, a page and scribbling my little human jottings. But I could still be in that wide field and speaking. Uh, and if there was a pause and there was silence, it was it was just silence. There was no... There was no blank page kind of staring at me going, you know, well, what's next? And I wasn't in that kind of mm, the written culture world. I was in the oral culture world, which, um, you know, as a storyteller is, is always interesting to me. And so I recorded that, um, you know, pretty much as it is now, sitting on the banks of the East Dart near Dartmeet one early summer's day. And it was... I just realized that I'd never, I'd never told the kind of bold truth about how much I love just being out there. Um, as a writer, you get caught up in all kinds of weird, weird stances that you take um, in, about your communication and what it is that you think you're doing. And every so often it's like, oh, God, just, just say, say what you feel for Christ's sake. Um, so 
so that was really just like going, oh, God, I love this. And this is what it does. This is, this is what it does to me. This is the, the experience I have and something, you know, particularly um, that I was feeling at the time. It's just like, here it is. Here is this availability, you know, um, of, of the wonder of uh, the possibility of communion or the experience of, of imminence or, or whatever. Um, just in this tiny patch of river, um, just here we are, these boulders, the moss, the, the amazing lichen on the trees, the usnia, and, um, and just, yeah, just, there's, it's a love poem. Um, and so when I'm writing about nature, it's often, it's often love poetry, really. That's what it is. Um, especially when it's just as kind of clear and um, mysterious as that. Yeah, it's, you know, it's an interesting, I spend a lot of time with other guides just by the nature of this being the work. Um, and yeah, you know, I think the thing that struck me reading this was that, you know, this focus on things that you would only notice or you're more likely to notice if you're still in a place. Um, and, and um, you know, I, I've been part of a lot of uh the, a lot of the parts of courses or the, the end of most courses for us is students going out on their solos. And, um, you know, for the, for the duration of the course, it's, it's go, go, go. We're traveling every day, whether that's boats or hiking or snowshoeing or whatever. Um, and then the students go out on solos and if, if it's just me or if I'm with another, you know, one of the other guides that works with us, my mentor, Tim Smith, and I spend a lot of time sitting around campfires, just kind of being stuck in one place. And I think when we talk about the places that are our favorite, they tend to be the places where we get to be still. And, um, and, th and so there's something interesting about that to me, this idea of um, actually paying attention and like slowing down. And sometimes you need, uh, you need your circumstances to allow you to slow down in order to see that stuff. Um, and there's mm -hmm. something to that in, in maybe, manufacturing those manufacturing those uh manufacturing those situations rather than waiting for them to come come to you i think there's sure. yeah it's and you know you mentioned all these mossy boulders and there's this place in the north main woods uh called the debskeneg lakes and it's a place that we've done solos before and the you know i always sort of feel bad because we uh we make the students go off and then we stay in this amazing campsite that has these huge boulders and you know, yeah exactly and my boss and i have referred to it as like the realm of the fairy king because there's just these waterfalls and these and it's it's yeah it's one of those only one of the only times during my work where um if i'm with students i get to sit and enjoy so yeah, yeah there's something to that it, you start to find a holiness in those places once you once you stop and pay attention yeah, I know. Also, um, sometimes sometimes it works like that, and sometimes uh, you just cr get cracked open, uh, and you see a place differently for you know a, a short period of time or forever. You know whether that's you know through a broken heart or just the the, the intensity of the stresses of things, and something shifts, and um, you know it's it's not only about time is it it's about um 
it's, it, yeah, it's, it's about the, the um, availability of our raw hearts um, in the encounter with place, because there are plenty of people who spend a lot of time uh, in, in place uh, without being um, moved in such a way as to have their kind of souls um, touched by a place in a, in a that particular way. So it's, it's um, yeah, there are, there are different ways of approaching it and different ingredients for sure. Hello, everyone. Um, this conversation with Tom went longer than we had anticipated. Um, we got talking, so we split this up into a two-part episode. Um, so look for the second part to come out. Tom and I talk a lot in the second part about storytelling um, and how the natural world um, influences art and how that art can then influence uh, individuals to go out and get more involved with the natural world and to care more about it. It was a really fascinating conversation. I hope you enjoyed the first part of it, and I hope you come back to listen to the second part because we get into some really, really interesting aspects of uh, being out on a landscape, and Tom talks a lot about taking people out um, to participate in wilderness fasting, which is a really cool thing that um, – you know, that our students have taken part in, but never with a specific purpose in mind. Whereas Tom talks about taking people out to, um, you know, to specifically find uh, the sort of the the muse, if you will, um, and takes people out for uh, with the idea that they can go and learn something about uh, poetry and writing while they're out on these solos. So going out specifically to look for inspiration is a cool thing that, um gets underutilized in the modern world. And so, yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed it. And I hope you guys will come back for the second part, which will be released uh, probably next week. Thank you guys very much for listening. Um, and we will see you next time with uh, the second part of my interview with Tom Hearns. been listening to the School of the Forest podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show, and if you did, I hope you share it with a few friends. If you did like the show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or any other of the major podcast hosting platforms. And lastly, if you'd like to learn more about School of the Forest programs, please check us out at schooloftheforest.com and get in touch with us at any of the contact information you'll find on that site. Thanks, 